Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 253 on Wednesday the 8th of May. Hello, I'm not Alan. Unfortunately, this is the second attempt to record this show after many and very technical difficulties with our recording last night. Apologies to everybody. Uh, Apologies to Alan for the fact he stayed up so late where he is to do this, but it just didn't work for us, I'm afraid, everybody. Um, it's just one of those things. It happens so rarely for us that our, our backups don't work, That but the quality was nowhere near good enough for me to even try and put out for you to listen to. So you get to listen to just me this time, I'm afraid, but don't worry, next week it's all back to normal. So this week we'll be talking about how the plug appears to have been pulled on April's new car registration figures. Also, we'll be chatting about how parts of Edinburgh will breathe more easily, and we examine how original Porsche is going to get for some customers. But first, we have some follow-up, and we start with the fact that Porsche is now going to pay $599 million fine to Stuttgart prosecutors over neglecting their supervisory obligations linked to a diesel emission cheating. Essentially, that's saying that they didn't check that the the engines they had were not cheating because they were supplied by other parts of the VW group. So Porsche are not fighting this, they're just taking it on the chin and moving on. I would presume internally monies are moving <laughs> within the VW group and workers in Porsche now have another... Another added reason to be cross with the rest of the group, which they already were anyway. But that's not the only thing that is on the go for Porsche uh, for the Volkswagen Group. China is now investigating the EU claims of emission tech collusion. That, if you remember, is between Volkswagen, BMW, and Daimler, and this is to do with them, the three of them agreeing not to deploy emission-controlling technology for financial reasons, clearly. Now, China wants to know, well, hang on, if you're doing it over in Europe, then you were probably doing it here. I want, we want some information on this. If you do remember to the original story, Daimler is the company that uh, was the, the one to dob them all in. They came clean and said, well, hang on, this is happening. We're part of it, but we, we're holding our hands up. So Daimler are not expecting to get any fines from the European Commission investigation. However, that will not be the case in China because they have not gone to the Chinese authorities to admit it. So this could potentially be a really expensive issue if it is proved that they did they did collude to prevent it. Because the other thing we have to remember with the Chinese market is it is predominantly petrol and the the majority of the emission controlling collusion is around fitting filters and the such and associated technology to petrol vehicles to to lessen their emissions because uh, it's slightly different from the nitrogen oxides it does have a large impact environmentally and health-wise in china but it also does seem a little bit bandwagony um, and therefore, possibly this is, as ever with when governments get involved, it suddenly becomes political rather than actually about citizens and health and safety and security and stuff like that. So we'll have to see how that one pans out. 
there's more about that further down in the in the news anyway Another item that we discussed not so long ago was the fact that some of Rupert Stadler's phone calls had been recorded by his wife and the prosecutors had come across, the Munich prosecutors had come across these and now they are investigating them. Well, some of the calls have been leaked to the Bild am Sonntag publication, which is a German one, clearly, and that we've referred to a few times. And they actually published some details of one of the calls and I'm quoting here from Greg Cable, who was quoting from Sontag, and he said that in one of the phone calls, Audi chairman Stadler allegedly discusses emission tricks for petrol engines with a Porsche manager identified as Marcus E. He has claimed to have asked Stadler if he knew of a function for the OPF. Now, that's the auto particulate filters. That's petrol-derived. I will have a link, as ever, in the show notes, but this is to Greg Cable's couple of his tweets um, referring to this to this news. When we talked about this article, there was a little bit of disbelief, certainly on my part, that it had taken three and a half years for the prosecutors to come across this evidence. However, in subsequent shows with subsequent news items, it became really clear, and it was actually just a reminder, that the prosecutors in the various places are dealing with essentially a tidal wave of information they are having to sift through to find anything. This is just one massive haystack, and they are trying to find microscopic needles that will give them evidence or not give them evidence, but to try and get to the truth and the, and the nub of the situation. So it is actually understandable why it's taken three and a half years to get to the wife of somebody who might be involved, phone. <laughs> we are beginning to step back from our incredulity and give them give them a bit of slack for that because they won't be overstaffed while doing this. And then, like I say, the the um, the amount of information they must be going through is will be horrific if we looked at it in as a large pile, a physical pile of stuff. We are now on to the new news, and we start, as it's the beginning of the month, as ever, with the new car registration figures, and this time it's for April. There was an overall decline of 4.1% in April. However, we do need to put this into a bit of context, because that is important. Last year, well, two years ago, in 2017, there was a big drop because there was the change in business in kind. So there was a massive drop in April's registration figures. Uh, they were down well below 160,000. And last year there was a jump of 20... I think it was 26%. Yeah, it was 26% in, in 2018, which has then decreased 4.1%, which is just slightly over Alan's rounding error this year. But as ever, March is the big month because that's the change in registration numbers. April is always quieter. Add in everything else that's going on around, it's no surprise there is a there is a bit of a drop. Uh, what is a bit of a surprise, though, is that part of the the drop, or that one of one of the headline figures that people have focused on, is that plug-in hybrids have fallen more than a third in their registrations, even though alternatively fuel vehicles rose twelve point seven percent. And this is being attributed to the cut in the grant to help people buy an alternatively fuelled vehicle. Private registrations have fallen 10.3% and fleet demand was just about even at 29 If we move on to the top 10s, 
We'll start at number 10, and it's the Hyundai Tucson at 2,702. The, the numbers this month are very low for um, the best sellers. So the Vauxhall Corsa is ninth. The uh, Volkswagen Tiguan is eighth. The Polo is seventh with 3,022 registrations. The Ford Cougar, the Mercedes A-Class, the Nissan Qashqai at 3,791. Then we have the Volkswagen Golf in third, the Focus in second, and the Fiesta is in first with 5,606. Year-to-date starts with number one, Fiesta, two, Golf, three, Focus, four, Corsa, five, A-Class, six, Cash Cow, seven, Polo, eight, Cougar, nine, Sportage, and ten is the Mini. So there's a bit of a difference between April's bestsellers and the year-to-date. Now, to go through the spreadsheet of doom, and it is quite doomy. Remember, the criteria has tightened up somewhat. It's 15% change is now being reported because the fluctuations are generally that great, plus or minus, as a, as a rule. However, this month it is more the minus than the plus. So I'm going to go through the not-so-good results and start at the top. with Our bath is down 41%. Alfa Romeo, 21. Chevrolet is 67% because only one car was registered. And to anyone from SMMT listening, this is a plea from the bottom of Alan's heart. Could you please remove Chevrolet? They don't really do anything now. This is just a, a hangover from when they were here. I th- we all agree they can go into other imports, can't we? Can't we? Moving on. DS is down 80%. To 101, uh, 107, sorry, vehicles registered from 529. However, people are beginning to see the DS3 crossback now on the roads, so hopefully that'll help improve DS's figures somewhat. Uh, Infinity, 49%, there's no surprise there. Jeep is down 22%, there's a bit of a drop there. Lotus down 34%, obviously different, slightly different batches. Mini down 35%, which is a heck of a drop, which will be part of the reason why there isn't a Mini in the top 10 for the month. Renault, a drop of 27%. Another bad month for Renault. Smart down 17%. We'll be talking about them later in the show. Sanyong down 25% and Subaru down a whopping 34%. The betters... Now, we can say uh, MG was 18% up, so quiet month for them on the old percentage rise. Uh, Mazda, a 22% rise. Lexus up 30%. BMW up 19%. Bentley up 23%. So the probably the new GT will be uh, really coming through on that one. Overall... Not great months. The people who've not been doing well have continued to not do well. So uh, we'll have to see what what May holds for us. It's just, it's hard. It's really hard for the consumers, businesses and uh, the uh, manufacturers. Just just the environment we're in is just tricky. So moving on to more new news. And this time BMW have reported a first quarter profit that has declined 78% to 589 million euros. Now, context again, because context is key this week. They have actually put aside 1.4 billion euros to pay any potential fine they may get 
in that collusion case that I mentioned at the top of the show. This means that they have taken the pain now while they had a good enough quarter because they still made four, 589 million euro profit even with taking 1.4 billion euros out of it. So they, they've, they've got the cash and they've put it to one side, which sounds to me like sensible business practice, that if you have it, you set it aside just in case the worst happens. They reiterate that they are fighting this with all legal me uh, means. They do not feel they are guilty of it, so they're, they're hoping that they don't have to pay it, but prudence says you do put it to one side. Interestingly, Volkswagen have taken the opposite approach and I think it's their chief operating officer has had to fight back criticisms for Volkswagen not actually setting any monies aside to deal with this fine. Considering how they underestimated, as we talked about in follow-up not so long ago, underestimated the fines they were going to get over Dieselgate, you thought they'd be a lot more conservative about these things right now. But there we go. Again, they they well, they must strongly feel that they don't have anything to pay for. But you've got to if they if they do, if they are found guilty, and if they do have to pay anywhere near the maximum amount of fine, I would imagine shareholders are gonna be asking some serious questions of the board again. But I'll let them I'll let them worry about it. Right. Continuing to move on, and this time, this is a very German-centric show this week, but Daimler <laughs> has actually moved on the only recently appointed boss of Smart, Katrin Ad. That's ADT. And she took over less than a year ago. I think it was last Yeah, it was last October. So, crikey, it's not even six months, really. So, last October, they've already decided that she is now going to be moved to the newly created subsidiary, which is Mercedes-Benz Cars' own retail Europe, which means their own showrooms. This is a, a newly founded uh, segment of the of the brand or of the overall company. And it's going to be quite prestigious, to be, to be fair to, to add. You know, she, she is, it's not like this is being shelved to one side because you've done something wrong because I think it's still going to be quite high profile. But you can't you can't judge her on what's happened in 6 months. She's had she's had no product. And Alan commented at the time he was in Geneva the the car that they wheeled out as a as a concept there was I think I'll be polite in saying less than inspiring. So and they've just pulled out of the US and Canada or they they've stated they will be it's hmm. It's a confused brand. Uh, I was discussing this with Alan. He was saying part of the problem is that Smart is all about less. However, the German brands at the minute seem to be more. They're more slashes, more swoops, more power, more, 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 more. And Smart is everything the opposite of that. So it's obviously tricky for them psychologically how it fits in in the culture of these companies now. So... And they've also called it, the, it's going to be an electric-only brand, which just sounds like they're putting the final nails in the coffin, frankly. We'll have to see what happens with, with Smart, but it doesn't look good. Cause it's, it's, having said that, I mean, they are going to be built by Geely in a joint venture in China in their, ne their next generation models. But mm, whether we see them over here, 
I mean, America and Canada won't for some time, sure. But whether we see them in Europe, I I question whether we will. This possibly may just be a China-only brand soon. This isn't technically car news, but it's more consumer-related. And it was on the BBC News website. Google Ads have been promoting firms charging extra for services that don't actually either have a charge at all or have a much lower charge if you go direct with that uh, service or with the company involved. And the first example they use is that if you put in the search term driving license application, you could see at the top, the first advert, a firm charging £49 for a change of address. Now, the government doesn't change to amend the details on your current license. So you can do that yourself. However, this is... It's all part of the service fee and VAT. Well, of course there's a service fee if somebody's doing a service. But you can do the service yourself. And it's not being made clear that you can do the service yourself. Another thing that another uh, service that was uh, put forward was the Dartford Crossing Toll. One promoted firm uh, was charging £7.50 to pay this when it's actually only £2.50 if you went straight to the Dartford Crossing site. Google has removed this now because the BBC showed it to them. So there's others on there. So if you are putting in something along these lines where you need to change details or you need to pay for something, just double-check and it, double check that you don't click an advert that is charging you for something you can do. And I would also strongly suggest that you go straight to the original organisation site itself and go through them rather than through intermediaries, if you can. Right now, well, I'm sorry that we've gone all consumery on you there, but that, that's the end of that one. And now, unfortunately, our, our Scottish editor, when we went through this last night, managed to nearly combust... <laughs> Because <laughs> because of all the elements that were going to be involved in this next story, which is that Edinburgh is considering expanding a low emission zone, or LES, to the entire city. It was expected that it would come in, in by the end of 2020 in the centre of Edinburgh, where Euro 6 diesel engines and Euro 4 engines and above, petrol engines that is, and above would would be allowed in. And this would go for cars, buses, lorries and other vehicles. One of the thoughts is is that they push it out for the entire city straight away or, or maybe phase it in just so they can, because the the standard of air quality in Edinburgh is quite poor. But Edinburgh is not a great city to try and drive into anyway. I mean, it's a bit like London, that it's too much traffic for too little capacity. I mean, that in Edinburgh, that's forgetting the... Uh, how should we put this? Very keen parking attendance. The price of parking and just the general amount of traffic. It's just it's not a nice place to go in and drive. There's park and rides and use public use public transport instead. You know? Do that and that, that will help reduce if you can that is, reduce the the poor air quality and and improve it somewhat. So we'll have to see whether this happens because uh, to, and Alan pointed out this is going to be a mix between the city council and the <laughs> the Scottish government, of which he has little faith in <laughs> either of, having experienced them himself personally. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do, and I hope they aren't just picking up something that's been implemented somewhere else and just parachuted in without 
seeing the results of what's going on in London without investigating those results and finding out what the differences are between Edinburgh and London in all sorts of forms, with traffic, the roads, the socioeconomic differences. They, it needs These things need to be investigated. You don't just pick up an idea and drop it in and go, that's it, it'll work, That's it's working over there, without you knowing whether it is or not, so it must work here. No, that's not how these things work. Every situation is different. Again, rushing back to context, context is key. There will be situ- there will be parts of the of Edinburgh that are significantly different that would impact on a clean air system differently than how London has done it. And that's to say that and like I said earlier, we have no idea whether London's one is being successful or not either. It's way too early to tell that. So but I I say all that knowing full well it'll just be parachuted in and go, well, it's it'll work. <laughs> Right, last bit of news before the guilt minute, and that is that the police are to get more legal protection for car chases. Home Secretary Sajid Javid has announced that trained officers who are, uh, or trained police drivers, are going to be better protected from the, the risk of lengthy investigation and potential prosecution, this Motoring Research article says. Link in the show notes as ever. Current laws do not recognise the training that response drivers undertake and the tactics they may use to pursue criminals, with officers held to the same standards as the member of public. A little while ago, there was a rash of videos shown um, from the police of them stopping moped, particularly moped riders, from escaping police questioning when the police were in a, in a car. And they did this by hitting the mopeds. And generally, in my corner of the internet, this was universally agreed was a good thing and it's what these people deserved. Let's remove the whole do we know they were guilty or not thing. If you are asked by the police to stop, you need to stop. However, uh, if the police are doing this in as safe a manner as possible, they are not putting other members of the public at risk and the people who are stopped are not significantly hurt, whatever significant is. There's probably There will be a scale somewhere, I don't know what it is. Then, yes, these police officers should actually be protected because they have been trained to to do this in a safe manner. As long as they have. If they are doing it and they are not a trained officer, then obviously they should get in trouble for that. But it, it looks like the the government is going to help the police out and give them a bit of backing for a change, which is which is nice to see. So we'll, we'll see if that actually comes through and, and that does actually happen, what with everything else going on. But now we, we can take a brief, a brief breather, a small break, as we discuss Guilt Minute. It's the point in the show where we remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com and click the orange Become a Patron button on the front page. If you're already a Patreon, thank you so much. Thank you so much to the long-standing patrons. Your support for us is immense and it's so gratefully received and thank you so much also to the recent patrons as well that have come on board in the last week or so that people are prepared to give us some money to help make this happen is really special 
And when we're having rough weeks like we're having this week technologically, it does help us to keep going and to to not spit our dummies and to not throw toys out of prams and not to use too many cliches and keep working hard at the content we're doing keep doing the new sort of stuff we're doing like we've reintroduced round tables which there will be another one coming out this week at some point technology being all equal and for us to do like the uh literal motors where Alan went there and interviewed people and we've got, you know, we're at places and we're not just talking about it, but we're getting the people who are there to help tell their story as well. So thank you so much for doing that. Of course, not everyone has the ability to support us financially, but if you could like, rate, leave feedback on the podcasting player of your choice, that would be brilliant. And if you've done all that, well, of course you're wonderful, but... How about grabbing a friend, hopefully someone who you think would enjoy it, and telling them about us, getting their phone out and showing them how to subscribe or how to listen before they subscribe. And if you've done all that and you don't subscribe, you can subscribe for free, making sure that the our shows that come out on this feed come to you without you having to worry if you've missed any. That's it for the Guilt Minute. Not, not quite as slick as Alan, but I don't normally do this bit. So we're going to move on to Formula E, though. And it's in Monaco this year. As we remember, it goes to Monaco every other year because it does the alternate with the Monaco Historic Grand Prix. And there was a plan to put the attack zone in the F1 pit lane. But that has been discussed further from an implementation point of view, and it's been decided because mainly safety that they're not going to do that and it's going to be somewhere near the harbour side it looks like it's going to be between the hairpin and the tobacco corner so uh, that should be interesting to see what difference that makes as it's monaco and the track is a possibly a little bit wider than normal or more or in places might be we might get some overtaking without shunting and we might get a race without a red flag. Would be nice. Come on everyone, please. Please try really, really hard. And weather play your part. Don't don't be horrible and wet again. As ever, in the show notes will be a link on how you can watch this in the United Kingdom. There is an easy way to change your location. It is on the top of the various schedules. You just click the change your location button on the Formula E page. And it, you can select wherever you are to look at the uh, the various broadcasting channels that are available to you. So do go and enjoy that. But it's going to be, well, the BBC website is showing its coverage between 3 and 5pm British Standard Time. And it's going to be on the iPlayer. So you'll be able to see the re- the full full race repeats there as well if, in case you miss it first time out. As it's Formula E doing something, as typically happens, it is also WRC, and this time they're going to Chile. So let's see who can make it to the end. Let's, I don't know, throw a throw a dart at a list of options blindfolded of what's going to happen in the race. Who's going to unfortunately clout a massive rock that you didn't even see and break the car? Who knows? But it'll be interesting to see what happens as ever. The action will be fantastic as ever. And do try and check out the Red Bull TV highlights the day after each of the of the rounds because they are they are immense. It's forty five, fifty minutes worth of excellent coverage 
typically with a rally driver helping to explain the, te- the technical details and the camera work is just superb. I'm looking forward to another super exciting race there. Designer's mood board. It's been a bit quiet for a while, but Hyundai now have a new head of the Hyundai Styling Group at the Hyundai Design Centre in South Korea, and it is Brit Simon Loadsby. He is ex-VW and was in char- was the vice president of the design team in China. But uh, last week he took over as the uh, the head of the styling group. And he's been talking to Automotive News, uh, link in the show notes as ever, and has, and has talked about, with electrification and the potentials of autonomous driving, there could be a radical change in the way the design language is executed moving forward so we'll, we'll be interesting to see how how that goes but because up to now with electric cars they've gen we've, we've been stuck in a bit of a bit of a period where manufacturers know that there is this potential to completely ch- well not completely change but change how a car looks significantly because there isn't internal combustion engine the the requirements for space have altered We've not seen anyone really go for that. They've all looked quite carry. That you think, oh, there could be an engine under that. So, I mean, the iPace has sort of pushed that, and even some of these new concepts we see are not still not really pushing it. It's only when you get to autonomous and they've basically made pods that it, it changes significantly. So it'll be interesting to see what changes they think are possible and consumers will that we the the buying public will accept i can't wait to see what's going to happen and i hope we start getting some exciting electric looking vehicles rather than you know just a rehash of an existing model i'm looking at you the german premium brands looking at you significantly in this one (laughs) so you go through click and read the article on that one and for our lunchtime read it is from the New Yorker, and it is titled "The Fight for the Right to Drive," and this is essentially about the organisation that Alex Roy, who we have often referred to on this show as someone who is incredibly is incredibly invested in human driving, and he set up the Human Driving Association, but he also is very accepting of the idea of technology, but. The, the centre principles of the Human Driving Association are protecting the rights of us to own a car and for that car to have a steering wheel. And in this, I, I'm not going to go through it in too much detail because you do need to read it, but in this article there is a lot of, uh, lot of discussion about this and a lot of, lot of stuff out, connected with autonomous vehicles that I particularly have a lot of issues with and it's good to see them being placed out there and experts saying yeah these are problems these are these are issues that need to be overcome and one of those is that the narrative has has been uh, driven excuse the pun but driven by those companies who have invested heavily in autonomous technology saying well if you don't have it you'll kill people uh, you know that's that's not a discussion though that's that's just putting an argument out there that will close down any questioning so it's that sort of 
if if it's so good for us, why do you have to do that? Is my is my point. But coming away from me because this isn't about me. I know it's hard to believe, but this isn't about me. Go read this New York article. It is incredibly well written, and it is interesting to see other people's interpretation of Alex Roy's comments, feelings, and the way that he is approaching this. And don't forget, Alex is, has been employed by Argo AI as a as a as a specialist employee to help them develop their their uh, vehicle. And you know he's been called out on this, and he said, "But these these people are realistic. They're not." And it says, quoting here from the article, they're not utopians. All they see that automation is extending freedom, not taking it away. So read this through and hopefully it'll get you thinking further about autonomous vehicles and perhaps how they are not about to turn up on the roads tomorrow. And just before we finish the show, though, there is a quick and finally. Porsche is printing period perfect driver's manuals for for your classic Porsche it was all part of the service of Porsche Classic. If you remember, Porsche, like several other manufacturers who have uh, quite a history of exciting and interesting cars that people have kept on the road, they have centres that will refurbish, service, rebuild your classic Porsche to original specification using original uh, materials, parts, manuals, diagrams all that sort of stuff so you will go back to being original and then you can also get your your manual now so <laughs> uh, obviously another tick on the i would like my car to be the best example it could possibly be list and therefore be worth the most it could possibly be <laughs> so i think i think it's great i mean yeah i mean it's, it's just a nice touch i mean i doubt it's going to be cheap but it's a nice touch to add to it that if you you've got it all everything is looking as it you know as it was which is which is a really interesting thing to see parish notes as i mentioned in the show there will be the special edition that should have come out last friday at some point this week again technological issues combined with issues outside of the podcast uh, we have as alan reminded me on Friday, when I had to give them the bad news that I couldn't get the episode out, we have some rules behind the scenes, uh, and that is that family comes first, paid work comes second, and podcasting is third. And sometimes there isn't the there isn't the balance. Sometimes one of them overtakes the other, and that's what's happened in the last few days. So apologies there. There won't be a rear view this week, unfortunately. Because I've said technological difficulties. Oh, dear. <laughs> I think if I see another problem, I may cry if my laptop tells me things that I don't want to hear again. <laughs> don't forget, between now and next time, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We are on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Do not forget. Remember... You can rate, review, like, subscribe, tell others about us. You can also come and support us by going to motoringpodcast.com forward slash support. And also you can get a sticker from us. They're still on the website, actually. Yeah, you can get stickers from us. So if you fancy a Motoring Podcast sticker that you would like to stick onto something, there's one of those. And if you would like to stick it in the window of something, there is one of those. See, we have many options. 
So if that interests you, go to our website and we will get those stickers out to you uh, pretty quickly. If you would like to get in touch with me personally, the best way to do that is search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you would like to get in touch with Alan, the best way to do that is via Twitter. If you search for at AJP Bradley, that's AJP B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back next week. Until then, he hasn't been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.